You are about to meet Kevin Quiz Ryan, tour programmer and recording engineer for Beyonce and co-owner at Rhythm 252 Group and owner of the Rhythm Lab Studio. Quiz has toured with Beyonce, handling audio in huge venues for her last four tours, as well as for the 2013 and 2014 Super Bowl halftime specials. In his spare time, he's a freelance producer for outlets such as ESPN, ABC, and HBO. Oh, and he was the audio supervisor for the White House Correspondents' Dinner and Michelle Obama's 50th birthday celebration. Quiz is an accomplished musician, record producer, composer, audio engineer, and artistic development specialist currently living in the Bronx. For the last 25 years, he's worked with numerous Grammy-winning and platinum-selling artists. We'll talk more about that in the next few minutes. Everything from New Jack Swing with Jeff Redd and the hip-hop soul of Mary J. Blige and the heart-wrenching music from the Blacklight Chronicles. And guess what? He uses OWC equipment for a lot of this work. And supposedly, he has this awesome... 26-foot truck loaded with equipment, pro tools, etc. for when he goes on tour. I want to know more about his remote work and his work in his studio and what he thinks is coming in the future. I've got a lot of questions for him, so stand by. It's about to get busy in here. It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, Conversations with host Serena Catania. Quiz. I've just been bragging about you. I don't know if you heard that part of it, but I'm so happy to finally get to talk to you. Um, yeah, welcome. happy to meet you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So the folks at OWC tell me that you use a lot of OWC equipment. Can you talk about some of the solutions that you have over there in your studio or when you're on the road? Right. I have, oh man, I have so many hard drives from OWC, um, external drives, uh, enclosures. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think I have at least 25 different pieces of gear from OWC. I've been using them. Uh, I think I started getting OWC products back in like 2004, 2003, yeah. something like that. Yeah, me too. And, um, yeah. And I, I mean, like, like just literally sitting here, I have one of the well, I have about five. I have five of these. Is that an I NVMe? Have, is that one of the NVMe's, or what is that? Oh, yeah, the the the, the um yeah the envoys yeah yeah. Uh -huh. Those are and then awesome. I have like I have four drives back here. Like right now, I'm in my my home office studio. Um, but my my you know professional studio, I have a bunch of equipment, and even when I'm out on the road, I carry uh, and use several drives and several enclosures. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. And the only reason why I constantly use their stuff is because it's reliable. I've never had a failure. I'm not going to win, but you know, I've never had a failure. And the one time I had a slight issue, uh, with one of the drives, I called them up. They said, send it back, send it back. They sent me a new one and it was problem solved. And I didn't even lose any data. So it was, it was, their, their stuff is incredible. Their products yeah. are incredible. Yeah, I use SoftRaid too to monitor the drives. I don't know if you've used that, mm -hmm. but at mm -hmm. one point, because I have a ton of stuff here too for the films right. I'm working on. And mm -hmm. at one point, there was one drive that got a notice on it that it might fail. And I called right. them up and I didn't tell them who I was, that I was affiliated mm -hmm. with OWC or anything. Cause I, right. wanted, I wanted to test customer See service. See how right? it is. Yeah, right. they were so nice, and they immediately shipped me out another drive, and they said just return the other one, and mm -hmm. so that was great. Yeah. Well, yeah. This customer is... service is, is is important, and they have some of the best customer service. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, I know they're going to appreciate hearing that. So let's talk about gear. Everybody loves gear, and you mm -hmm. have several situations. You know, you go on these huge tours with Beyonce, so let's talk for a minute about the kind of things that you have to take with you to do your job mm -hmm. and uh, when you're on tour in those big venues, what do you, what do you take? Well, um, I normally have my own personal laptop and a couple of 
hard drives that I use for, you know, my personal backups and everything for shows. And when I have to do editing outside of the show, like I might be in a hotel room or a tour bus or whatever, but the system that I use for um, uh, Beyonce's tour is a system that I, I built for Beyonce and I use the actual system. It's it's a, a combination of, of several audio interfaces made by Motu, software made by Motu, a digital performer, um, uh, OWC um, external drives, OWC drives that I use for, for backing up the entire system and for time machine. Um, I'm using a, a, a switcher, a customized, uh, it's called an audio switcher, but it's, it's custom built by a guy named Paul Cox. And it allows me to run a redundant audio system. So if one system goes down during the show, it automatically switches to the other. So we don't lose any audio oh, uh, or anything like no, that. With no, uh, no lag? You, nope. No, nope, because wow. everything is synchronized. So basically, I'm sending out a tone. It's like a one kilohertz tone that goes through the switcher, that goes from my... Um, uh, software into the switcher. So as soon as the switcher loses tone, it immediately switches over to the other machine because everything is synchronized. So when it switches over, you don't hear a, a glitch or anything. It's just like nothing happened. And I'm syncing all of this stuff up with uh, the lighting, video, pyro. And the last tour we did, um, uh, the, the monitor engineers, were synced to my system as well. So when my songs changed, their snapshots would change on their consoles. And they were they were real happy about that because it, it makes their job a little bit easier. Uh, <laughs> puts a little bit more pressure on me because if something goes wrong on my side, it kind of, it can mess other people up, but it's we've never had a failure. So it's so just- like been, if there's somebody you don't like, you just feed them the wrong picture. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nah. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> would never do that. <laughs> right, right. Because then everybody would be looking at me like, okay, what happened? You okay, know? you're fired so, now. <laughs> well, oh I don't God. know about that, but that would be, it, would, it would be close. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and, so, and, I, and I, I did the same thing for Imagine Dragons. I didn't tour with them, uh, but I built their system, their playback system for their, um, for their show. And it was based on the same kind of uh, setup that I have with Beyonce. And of course, using OWC drives. So, um, picture for us because this is going to be both on radio and some, and also video. But for the folks on radio, mm -hmm. picture yourself sitting in the arena or in the venue, and what do you have all around you? Can you go from like left to right and sort of give us a little tour? And right. Yeah, that would be that would be kind of awesome. Think about it. Think okay. about it. Well, you know, typically, um, there's been I'll I'll, t I'll tell you two different setups. Typically, I have my setup sitting in front of me, both of my laptops, and it's in a, a custom made kit um, case, I should say, um, with the switchers and the audio interfaces and the hard drives, and then to the right of me on the last tour was. Uh, a monitor engineer that was mixing for the band and for myself. And then to the right of him was another monitor engineer that, that mixes for Beyonce. So we're all backstage on stage left and we're doing our thing behind, you know, behind everything on the stage. Now, also I have a video monitor that I can see Beyonce. And I can see, I have like two different shots. I have a shot of Beyonce, a constant shot of her. And then I have a constant shot of the overall stage. And the reason why um, there has been, have been times where Beyonce, uh, uh, one time she fell down some steps. And, you know, in a situation like that, if you don't think the artist is going to be able to recover to continue to sing, you don't want the music to continue to play while they're sprawled out on the floor. So I'm right. there to I'm there to watch her, make sure everything's cool, make sure um, nothing weird happens, like um, uh, any sort of like technical glitch that she might not be aware of. Because I also have a talkback mic where I can talk to the band, I can talk to the uh, musical director, and I also can talk to her. 
So if there's anything that I see that's weird, and, and I've only had to talk to her maybe once or twice in like 15 years, but if there's anything weird, you know, I can just get on the mic and say, hey, B. Well, actually, I talked to her more than that, because sometimes we might have a, a situation where um, there might be a change in a song and I have to make her aware or she might have to make me aware of something. So she talks to me through codes and I could just talk to her because she has in-ears and she can hear me. So sometimes she'll cue particular songs and like, like we have a, you know, when the show is set, we, we pretty much have a flow, but then there's parts of the show where B might want to talk to the audience a little bit longer than normal. So she'll have either a visual cue for me, like she might do something like flip her hair or she might go, okay, let's go. And then I just continue the show that way. But, you know, it, it, it really varies. And then sometimes it's not even, she changes up on you. I don't know if she does this on purpose <laughs> to just see if you're on your toes, but sometimes she'll just pause for a second. And if that pause seems a little bit too long, I know that, okay, she wants to go and I'll just continue the show from there, you know. Um, now, uh, there was so it's one... All, it's kind of like you're an um umpire, right? You're the umpire. She's pitching, you're the umpire. Exactly, right, right. right. Or the catcher, right, you yeah. know what I mean? So, Sorry, um, I meant catcher, you're the catcher. Yeah, She's right. pitching, and you're the catcher. Right, <laughs> you have exactly. That silent language. And, yeah, and you know, the last tour, it was with um, Jay-Z as well, so there were a couple of songs where I had to go off of Jay-Z's cue. And in rehearsal, we might re rehearse the cue one way, but you know, we're all human. And sometimes the artist will give me the cue a different way. And I'm not, I'm like, what? Oh, wait, <laughs> you know what I, mean? I guess he meant go, right? You know what I mean? But you know, it, it, it's all fun. It's, it's, it's a little tense at times, but it's, it's all fun. It keeps you on your toes. It's exciting. And like I said, I have these monitors. Now the whole monitor thing started uh, when one tour, we literally were in a, a, a truck. We were in a, a tractor trailer and we had monitor, uh, monitor engineers, uh, her engineer for her monitor ears and myself in this truck. And it was a really cool setup. But when we did, uh, and we loved how it was all set up. But when we did Coachella back in 2018, it was 111 degrees or something like, oh. like that the day of the first show. And we were out there and we had portable ACs and basically they couldn't handle, you know, cooling the truck off. And our equipment got so hot that in my case, uh, there was like this audio, um, audible stuttering in the sound because the equipment was really overheating. So we right. had to literally figure out that day how we're going to take all of this stuff out of the truck that's that's been embedded in the truck and secured oh. so it can never move around while it's traveling. Take all of that stuff and put it on the stage. And they didn't really have room for us on the stage, but we had to make room. And those are the things that happen when you're on the road, unexpected problems and you have to figure them out. And, Wow, and all that wiring. I mean, oh yeah, spaghetti everywhere, and then you have to kind of make something. Right. Oh, that right. You want to make it. You want to make it all as modular and, yeah. and as tidy as possible. Because, like you said, a lot of wiring, a lot of cabling. We're talking about like thousands of feet of cabling in some in some cases. So it's it's crazy. So you've been doing this with her for, like I said, over fifteen years. Right, right. Are you right. less nervous now than you were in the very beginning, or do you still get the jitters right before every tour? Or every... I still, right before every show, I still get slight jitters, yeah. Um, not as much as when I first started, because when I first started, uh, that was my, literally my first world tour, so, uh, and it was just like, Man, like it was just—I I wouldn't say overwhelming, but it's breathtaking when you when you've never been in control of a show and there's like tens of thousands of people that literally can see you in certain cases, and it's like you almost feel like oh, everybody is looking at me. <laughs> but it's, and that's never the case. But you know, it's just one of those kind of things when you have that kind of responsibility, you get a little paranoid sometimes. Yeah. But but no, I I, I get nervous. Um, 
just slightly before every show. And then once we we start the first song, the nerves just go away and you just you're just an automatic pilot at that point. Yeah, you're into the creativity of it. How right. do you guys communicate? Because what you do can really affect the impact and the output and the tone of everything that's going on on stage. How do you communicate to each other prior to the concerts about, well, maybe not so much now, but at least in the beginning? What were the conversations um, that way? Well, it's it's mostly, you know, when you're in rehearsal and we're rehearsing different arrangements and things like that, and she'll literally say she wants to change whatever, you know what I mean? And we'll have conversations about it. Some, I mean, a lot of times, especially in the beginning of tours, we're making changes the day of the show, of you know? So we'll have a rehearsal. During the rehearsal, she'll talk on the mic and tell me, hey, I want you to edit this. I want to change that. Or the musical director, Derek Dixie, he'll say, hey, we got to change this. So we'll go in and edit some parts. Or sometimes, because he's very adept at um uh, audio editing as well. Sometimes he'll do an edit and then send it to me and say, hey, put this in this track or whatever, whatever. So it's, it's, we're always communicating. We're always talking for rehearsals or sometimes during the show. If, like there have been times where she's like, hey, you know, I don't really want to do this next song. So let's skip this song and go to the, the song after. And, you know, it's just one of those things where we're like, okay. And I have to get on the mic and tell the band sometimes. I have to also communicate that to the front of house engineer to say, hey, look, we're not doing such and such. We're going to go to such and such. So if you see the time code jump to a different time, this is why. Right. Because they're all locked to my time code. Yeah. So if, if they see a different time code, sometimes it'll, it, and it's not in the order that they're, they're expecting, their board will do different, you know, snapshot changes. And if they see it and it's like, hey, wait a minute, that's not what, oh, it's a new song, you know. I just, you have to give everybody a heads up. And it's the yeah. same thing with video and pyro and lighting. I have to tell everybody there's going to be changes. So everybody has to look out. Because are you rolling in any pre-programmed music beds at all? Or is it everything live? I'm just curious. Well, no, we have, um, my job is to basically have all of the tracks from the particular songs that we're doing, we'll use Sometimes we'll use some of the drums. Sometimes we'll use various instruments that's in the song. But right. then you have a band playing right. on top of that. Right. So my job is to play the su support bed, that, that the meat of the song, and then the band plays live elements to support it even further. You right. Know? Um, so yeah, it's who makes the show clock ahead of time? Who does that? Like you have a clock, you have what we used to call on radio the clock, right? You knew exactly. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the sequence of the songs, and I'm sorry, I've never mm -hmm. done what you do. Right. I've no, watched it in awe. I mean, I'm in awe, um, right. and and it's it's so it's precise on the one hand, but then as you're saying, creative on the other because you have to know how to pivot really fast. So, right. uh, in terms of the show, what we call the show clock, which is the rundown, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. does that? Well, that's a combination of uh, the musical director. Beyonce and myself. Mm -hmm. There are times like we know in certain venues there's a there might be a curfew. So mm -hmm. we know, okay, the show has to end by eleven PM. If mm -hmm. you don't end by eleven PM, there could be fines right. or, or penalties or whatever. So um we'll have to sometimes tailor the show to make sure we end at a certain time. So they'll ask me sometimes, how long is this song? How long is that song? You know, can we cut maybe a chorus off? So we can save 15 or 20 seconds here or that, you know, we, mm -hmm. we make those kind of adjustments before the show. Mm -hmm. And then we just figure it out. We just know, we just know, hey, in this particular night, B, you can't do a lot of banter with the audience because that's going to take up a little bit more time than, than we have. You right. know what I mean? So we'll communicate that to her and we all, we just figure it out. Sometimes she wants, she'll want to do an encore, but. We'll look, we're looking at our watches and like, nah, dude, not tonight. You got to wrap it up. You know what I mean? And, you know, yeah. and we just figure it out. You know? Yeah, I've worked on um, a, quite a few actually live TV shows, but never in big venues like that. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I always get nervous before live. I can't even imagine how you feel because it's so easy for just the smallest thing to happen to change everything or to interfere with your feed. Right. Now right. you're recording as you're as the evening's going on and you're going to end up with a master recording at the end of the night. What format is that in and then do you do some editing after that for posterity or how does all that work? Right. Well, the show's being recorded in two places. Once, uh, one place is a front of house engineer, and then uh, Derek Dixie, uh, the musical director, he has an assistant that records the show in Pro Tools. So it's all digital, digitally recorded in you know WAV files. And like I said, the front of house engineer has a recording, and then they have a recording. So they, it's a redundant situation could because sometimes they'll use those recordings exactly sometimes they'll use those recordings for when they re want to release a dvd or or, or have a right. tv show that they want right. to record it for you know that's how we did it how many um, tracks are you working with oh wow when you're recording uh when you're recording a show like that um I'm trying to remember the last big count that we had. It was it was at least 60 tracks. Wow. Yeah, it was at least 60 tracks. I'm spitting out of my system, for the most part, I'm spitting out 23 tracks. That's the most I'll, I'll, I'll spit out. And then then you have the band. So you have the, the, the mic to drum kit. The bass, the guitar, the two keyboard players, the background singers, the horns, the string players, all of that stuff is mic. And then in certain cases, even the background, I mean, even the uh, dancers are mic'd because they might have parts where there's been a situation where a couple of dancers did some tap dancing and you want to pick that up. So sure. that they have to be mic'd at a certain part of the stage. The, actually, the stage is mic'd. And then you also have audience mics. So there's Mike sitting out in the audience that records the audiences, ah, and you know the cheers, yeah, and they the mix reaction. all of that in for you know videos, and you know at a later date. So it's it's a lot, it's a lot. But not, and like I said, it's at least sixty tracks, and a lot of in probably other cases it's way more. How many but, cities do you hit in a tour? Ah, uh, the first tour that I did with her, I think we did hundred and ten cities. And oh yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> it was a brutal tour because we were at certain in certain countries. I think we were doing like six days in a row, wow. um, and then we'd have one travel day or one day off or whatever. Now, um, now that she's reached the level that she has, we don't have to hit as many cities because she does stadiums now. So we might be at a stadium for two days. Um, and then move to the next city, do that stadium, and then have like two days off, then go, you know what I mean? So it's not as many cities, but it's still a pretty intense tour because of the size of the show. In a lot of trucks, a lot of buses, a, you know, it's a lot of personnel to, to move around. A lot of do you know how many people are traveling with you? We had over 300 people. It was like 350 four people, something like that, all on the road at the same time moving. And in that particular, oh, it was called the Formation Tour. And that tour, the the stage was like, it, it, it was so big. And they had this 70-foot monolithic, uh, it was like a, a monolithic um, rectangle that was 70 feet high, and it was all video screens. Like a big jumbotron kind of thing. Like a big jumbotron that had doors, so it would open this way, oh, awesome. close. They had doors at the top that would open, and pyro would come out. Then they had a trapeze built inside. So one sometimes uh, at certain parts of the show, the stage would open up. Trapeze artists was doing all this aerial work during the show. Stage would close back up. The the, uh, the the stage would turn around. It was on this turntable, so that show was super. It was a super big show, super hard show, and very expensive. That that, that stage was was. I don't even want to say what the number was, but it was very expensive. 
And um, they had to have two of them because it it takes a day just to set it up. So we'd have to have um, an advanced team that would go to the city, the next city, while we're in the city that we're doing the show. And they're in the next city building the stage. So that next day, by the time we got there, they would almost be finished. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, was a, it was a huge, huge, huge show. I was going to ask you about prep because that's, it takes a lot of time. And if it's not done right, yeah. you know, I mean, I can think yeah. of, I can think of a show I was working on and we had a huge scaffolding and mm-hmm. um, I don't even want to talk about it. It wasn't mm. pretty. It could be very dangerous too with no, those kinds no. of, that, yeah. No question. So you have no. to have a team that you really trust. You guys have been together a long time. That makes a big difference, yeah. doesn't it? So wow. Yeah, it does. It does. It's it's just like we have there's a core set of people that always that have always been there since I've been there. But you know, like any tour, as far as um roadies are concerned, they always switch out. There's always new people I meet every single time and uh and it's a demanding show. And some roadies are like, oh, I don't want to do the Beyonce show. It's too hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it is what it is. It's, you know, it's a it's a big show, and it's and it looks incredible when it, when you see it. It's incredible. And you're it's dealing a lot with of work. all the unions, and uh, yeah, it's and every yeah. every venue you go to, uh, there are crew people that join in because of the right. local the local right. unions, right? So you right. do have new new people there. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that's what makes it fun, right? And, yeah. And also, Tiffany's there with you, right? Yeah, Isn't she? exactly. So, so for those of you listening, that's that's his beautiful wife, Tiffany Monique. You have to do a search mm-hmm. for her. You're going to find some amazing uh, creativity from her. She's a wonderful mm-hmm. singer and beautiful woman. So she she's uh, one of the backup singers, right? And a dancer? Yeah, she- or what, what does she do with you? No, nah, she's um she does she's not a dancer. She can dance though. <laughs> but uh well, I've seen her dance. She's amazing. <laughs> right. She's she's a lead background vocalist. Um during the Coachella tour, she was uh, a vocal arranger as well. She's super talented. Um she has a degree. Your face lights up when you talk about her. Yeah, it's, I mean I'm proud of her. She's she's super super talented um like i always i tell people like i don't know anything that she can't do she could do mm. she could do all kinds of stuff that i had yeah. no idea when i first met her but yeah she she is i'm glad that she's out with me because um you know a lot of people on the road you know they it's it's really hard for some people to be away from their family for yeah. you know months on end and yeah. I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I get to travel with my wife. So it, it's that's a serious. Yeah. And you have kids too. They're older now, so right. there's mm-hmm. all of that going on. And with, right. with those tour dates now during COVID, you didn't tour. Beyonce didn't tour. Not at all. No. So no. when do you think that's going to start again? Oh, um, you know, especially with this Delta variant and everything, I, I have no idea. Um, I'm hoping we're gonna we're gonna do something in uh, 2022, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, I did some work. Um, with, I did some work with J Lo during the COVID thing. I did. Um, I, I recorded her band for um, New Year's Eve. They did a New Year's Eve uh, performance. I did the recording for that. Um, I've I did a recording for this artist named Farrell Monch that was on um, Stephen Colbert, mm-hmm. so I recorded the audio for that and they shot it and then they delivered the whole package to Stephen Colbert and they played it on the show. So awesome. I've been doing a little bit of work, um, some still a little bit of studio work, but I didn't start really getting into studio stuff until I got vaccinated. Um, it was just you know one of those kind of things where I, you know, I, I felt like I needed to be, I needed some more assurance. Right. Um, Cause you know, I don't yeah. want to infect any of my family members or anything like yeah. that. And at the same time, I need to work as, you know, as, 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 as much work as yeah. I can get, I, you know, I try to take it. Well, so you're a freelance it, producer too. So how right, are you handling right. like HBO, ABC, ESPN, all of those clients that you have? Was there, mm-hmm. 
everybody kind of slowed down during right. during COVID. It got a little exactly. scary for all of us. Um, right. Luckily, you know, there's still things we can do. But was there a project that you worked on where you were collaborating remotely that maybe we could talk about and how you made that work? Or was it just a matter of shifting, sending files back and forth? Or how did you handle mm -hmm. that? Well, normally, uh, you know, everybody comes to the studio and, you know, we do what we do. This particular, this past year, I should say, I had one client that I trusted, uh, you know, was taking care of herself and, you know, he, he got vaccinated and we did some things in the studio, but we made sure we still maintained our, our distance. Right. Um, but as far as like the TV clients that I have, I didn't get any work from them this year. And wow. the reason why is because everybody literally slowed down. So they, like I, for, for ESPN, I do like library bed music for them. So when you see sports highlights and hear music, I'm, you know, I'm, I do some of that music, but they decided to just continue to dip in the, the, the archives and use, you know, older music because nobody was coming in the office. A lot of them were working remotely and it just, it, it was just one of those kind of things where they were like, you know what, we're going to wait and see how everything plays out. Hopefully, not even hopefully, I know they started, you know, working in the office again in certain cases. Uh, you know, I, it's just one of those kind of things when they need some things, they'll call me and say, hey, can you do 15 of these particular style of music or whatever. Mm -hmm. and that's that's how I get work from them. Um, but the remote thing, most of the remote work that I do literally right now is teaching. Like I, I mm -hmm. tutor on a platform called wisant.com. So I, I tutor music production and um, recording engineering. Audio Can you engineering. say that again and spell it for us? Because I want people to go. Oh, wisant, W-Y-Z-A-N-T. Just find me there. Um, just look up quiz, Kevin Quiz Ryan on wisant.com. And uh, I do, you know, production classes and, and audio engineering classes on there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, oh, boy, cool, everybody, right? you better run over there and check that out <laughs> while he's got time because that's yeah. awesome. So when did you first know that you wanted to compose music? Because you're a wonderful composer. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I started off playing drums. I, I, I studied drums and percussion uh, when I was a kid. And uh, I stayed for about nine years, took lessons for nine years. And I was also a DJ a long time ago. And I knew I loved music. I loved being in music. And a friend of mine told me, um, you're going to be a producer one day. And at that time, I didn't even know what a producer did. I just, I knew like Quincy Jones and Trevor Horn and certain people were producers, but I didn't know exactly what they did. And uh, once I, I really understood what a producer did, I was like, hey, you know, I think I, I can, I think I can do that. I like working with people. I like coming up with music and everything. But I couldn't really call myself a composer, at least. I, I call myself a composer now. I feel weird when I say it, only because I'm not a trained, like, I don't know, I don't know music theory or anything like that. I taught myself how to play keyboards and a little bit of bass. Um, I'm a trained drummer. But through years of just being around other musicians and picking up little tidbits and learning things from different people, I ended up composing music and um my first real composition job was for hbo and it was the closing music for this uh this documentary they did called the execution machine which is mm. morbid but it was about texas death row inmates but that was my first composition job and um i just kept on you know falling into these situations where i would get asked to do some things or Somebody would tell me, hey, you know, you should submit some music for this. And and I would get, you know, I would get these jobs. And I did a job. I did a couple of uh, themes for ABC, uh, like I said, HBO. And most of the work that I've done has been for ESPN on the composition side. Yeah. Talk to me about Marley Blue. Okay. Yeah. Marley Blue 
Um, Marlon Smith was my production partner. He, he was my production partner for about 10, 12 years. And he was my best friend. And Marlon and I uh, tag teamed a lot. Like when I was on the road and we had projects to finish or we were working with certain artists, you know, I would rely on Marley to take care of the artists, you know, write some stuff for them or produce this or whatever, whatever. And he would send me, you know, he would email me tracks or we'd talk and I'm like, oh, let's change this, let's change that, you know. So he was my, he was like my right hand guy and my, my best friend and, and, you know, one of the healthiest people I've ever known. Like he was a gym rat, constantly working out, great shape. And he, he got a rare form of cancer and um, passed away in 2018. And um, Marley Blue was a song that I did with one of the, uh, with a few artists that we both worked on. And one of the artists uh, literally approached me and said, hey, we should do a tribute song for Marley. And I, you know, I thought that was a great idea. So I, I wrote this piece, I wrote this music, and then um, my wife, um, one of my sons, who's a, a hip hop artist, and two other hip hop artists that uh, that Marlon and I worked with, uh, did this song, shot a video to it. It was just a tribute to him. And, you know, he's an incredible guy, and he was a talented video director. I mean, he shot great videos he shot my one uh, one of my son's first music video and it was incredible you know mm. he's just a very talented talented dude and uh, i'm missing really yeah. that was that was a that was a hard one was yeah a hard one. i'll bet but you know it's um it just brings it because i was very touched by it and i think it brings to mind how important music is and how much from the heart it comes the best music comes from the heart and I want to ask you about Blacklight Chronicles because right. that's an amazing work. Now you were album producer and composer on a number of right. those songs, if not on all of them. On yeah. all of them, my goodness! Right. So right. tell people about that who might not have heard of it or who have not experienced it, because that's really some tough, hard-hitting, well-needed communication. Right. Well. Um, back in 2016, uh, well, it started in 2015, um, when Mike Brown was killed, um, you know, with police brutality and just everything that was going on um, with the police and, and, and then everything that goes on with racism in the country and how um, especially Black males are treated by the, the criminal justice system. I, I was just compelled to to do an album. It was a personal um, album for me, a personal album for me because of what was going on. And I, you know, I you 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 alluded to, you know, you you literally said like music is really important, you know, sometimes, especially when you're trying to, to convey certain messages and you want people to to pay attention. And sometimes just talking to them isn't enough. You need to hear music. You need to hear a song that might resonate with you. Mm -hmm. So um, I charged 11 artists that I knew to come up with different themes of what they would want to talk about. I mean, some of them, I gave them ideas like I want you to write about racism or colorism. Both of my daughters are on it um, doing spoken word pieces. And I just wrote this music and I would send it to them. Hey, what do you feel about this? You know, sometimes it would be a track. They're like, ah, I don't feel that. So I'd write another piece. And, and I'm doing all of this while I'm working with Beyonce and I'm on the road and everything. Seriously? Yeah, it, it, was, it, was pretty, uh, it was pretty intense. I did all like the album artwork in the, on the tour bus. And... Um, you know, I like remember I tell you my wife could do almost anything. So she had to teach me how to use um, parts of uh, what is that? Photoshop. Thank you. She had to teach <laughs> me how to use Photoshop so I could put this collage of different images together. It like and you know, and I did the the actual artwork. The, I'm sorry, not the artwork. The actual graphics I drew out myself, and uh, 
you know, just put it all together on a tour bus. And uh, when we had a break, I got it all pressed up and just released it, you know. Wow. But it's, yeah, it's, and we shot some videos for it as well. So it's a lot. Where can people go to hear it? They can get it on iTunes, right? They can buy it from mm-hmm. Apple Music. And right. Did you press some vinyls too, or is it strictly digital? No, I didn't do any vinyl. I did do some CDs. So, like, if you go to CD Baby, you can find mm-hmm. it there if you wanted a, a hard copy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's called Quiz: The Black Light Chronicles, and uh, it's it's you know it's it's an interesting album. I think it, it's the type of album where I wasn't really concerned about like, well, how many can I sell or anything. It was just more about I want people to hear it. If you want to hear it and you don't have iTunes or you you can't even get the CD or whatever, you can literally go on YouTube and listen to every one of the songs because it's about really the message. Yeah, It's not about anything else. If I can make some money from it, yeah, that's cool. But I want the message to be out there so people can get an understanding. This is why there's injustice. This is how Black people feel in certain situations. This is how Latin people feel in certain situations. Ironically, if you know, if you are aware of the story of the kid that was in um, the New York hotel that was accused of stealing this woman's phone, that's Cat Rodriguez's son and my friend Keon Harold's son. Cat mm-hmm. Catty is on the Black Light Chronicles. She's on the song called Under the Black Light. That's her singing. Uh, so this is a thing. You know what I mean? We... It's it's ironic that that happened, and then it's just sad that it happened to little Keon. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like I've known him since he was a little kid, and uh, it's just it's you know we got to do better as a as a society. We just have to do better. What advice can you give us to help with it? What can we What can we do? I mean. That's a tough question for all of us, you know, because yeah. we're sitting here going, this has to stop. All of us are saying, well, well not I would say most of us are saying that it right. has to stop. And I, I have a belief that on all sides of these fences, people have hearts and everyone wants to love and be loved. How can we get, you know, what you did with the Black Light Chronicles, as tough as some of that is to listen to, is very, very important. So what do you mm-hmm. think the next step is? Well, the first step to me is just having some sort of empathy and compassion for people that don't have it uh, as well off as you. And that, and I don't mean just financially. I'm talking about well off as far as how they can make it in life. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of people across, not just in the United States, but in the world that are just um, going through a hard time because of uh, systemic racism. You know, it's not just in the United States. It, it's in all walks of life. And I don't want people to think that it's just limited to black and brown people, because if from a societal standpoint, you can be in Africa and if there's a certain tribe that's having a a, a conflict with another tribe, they can oppress them as well. It happens in China. It happens in the Middle East. It happens all over the world. And as a people, as a race of people, as humans, we have to be compassionate and understanding. Now, when we talk about the United States situation, what we have to do is educate everyone um, and allow, for instance, there's this big debate in 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 society now about whether you're going to teach about racism in school. Well, yes, nobody alive right now has ever been a slave master. Nobody alive has been a slave. But you benefit from those family members that were a, a slave master. You 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 are hurt by people because your your uh, former ancestors were slaves, and 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 you know if you don't understand how generationally that behavior just gets in your DNA, you really don't you don't have any real compassion if you're not trying to understand it. Um, 
for for instance, and I you know I don't want to be harp too much on this, but for for instance, black people have this a thing called hereditary hypertension. Mm-hmm. Now you can eat perfectly clean. You can be a vegetarian, but if you're black, there's a chance you might have hereditary hypertension because it's embedded in our DNA now. And it's not because of poor eating habits. It's because of stress that has been carried down your, your genetic you know, line for centuries. And it, it's it. This is a real thing. This is not anything made up. You can Google it and look it up. And no, this I is know. a real. Know. You know, it this is. is a real thing. It is. And the same thing goes for white people. Certain white people don't have an understanding of what black people go through because they've never experienced it. You know what I mean? So if you don't experience certain things, sometimes you don't believe that it's even possible or you're thinking people are just making things up. And it's like, no, like, listen, if you listen with a, with a sympathetic or an empathetic ear, you might learn some things and then you might understand why certain people behave a certain way, why, people, why certain people have to do some of the things they have to do to survive. And then we can start to heal. You know what I mean? But you know, you have all this divisiveness in the country right now, and I'm hoping it gets better, but sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. And right now we're going through a really bad time. They're getting worse, but I do right. believe, and I have hope, and I'm very optimistic person. I do think it's going to get better. I really do. I look around mm-hmm. and I see wonderful people of all races, colors, and creeds all around me. And I I think the good eventually will outweigh all the bad, but it's good that there are voices out there, like what you did with the Blacklight Chronicles for, you know, to get it out, to start the the conversation for those who have had their head in the sand. As difficult as all of this is, I'm hoping that all sides can eventually come together and fix right. it. So I'm waiting mm-hmm. for your next compositions. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not even sure. Like, you know, you're saying that and, and uh, a few people have said, well, when are we going to get part two? And <laughs> emotionally, it was very hard to do oh, that. Yeah. That record, you know, it's, yeah. and um, there's one of the art, you know, this, this is just it's sad to say, but one of the artists on that album, um, she had the first song. Her, she did a song called Back of the Bus. Her name is Toy, Toy Holmes. She's, a, she's an amazing artist. Uh, she was a spoken um, voiceover artist. She did a lot of stuff for television as far as voiceovers and things. But she passed away as well from cancer. And, uh, you know, that took that took another toll on me because like I literally today I I was um looking for some files on a hard drive and I came across some pictures uh of the video. My my partner Marlon, he shot that video. Oh. Um but it's a, a video called Back of the Bus. And he he's in the video, he, he's only in there for a couple of seconds. But when I saw that. And I saw a picture, I, I, I'm an amateur photographer, it's like a little hobby thing. And I was taking behind the scenes pictures and I was just talking to Tiffany and I was like, look at this picture. And it was a picture of Marlon and Toy together. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta post these pictures in the studio. You know, I, I gotta yeah. do it just as a little tribute to them. But I'm sorry, I don't even know why I went there. <laughs> but, well, but, I uh, think we're talking about things that affect our hearts. I mean, I worked on a right. Danny Glover movie, and mm-hmm. and um, the two producers on that film, um, after the film was over, I wrote mm-hmm. a really nice thank you card by hand, and I drew on it. And then I never yeah. mailed the darn thing, right? Mm. And one of them passed away, so he'll oh, never wow. know how much I cared for them and how grateful I was and what a wonderful experience all of that was with the whole crew. And, you know, right. when you're on the road, you get attached to people. Exactly. It's like you're, they become your family. And I, exactly. I think the point I'm trying to make is, 
you and Marlon had a great relationship when he was alive. And if we can focus on those kinds of things, then we can be grateful for for the good stuff and right. hope that there's more of it coming in in the future. You know, so I think about Ted and Dave and I, I think about Dave is gone and he wanted to teach me how to how to do uh, what do you call it? The radio, long distance radio uh, stuff. Oh, you know? sh shortwave, shortwave radio. radio. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Never did that. I never sent uh -huh. him a thank you card. So from that moment on, I have tried to live every day doing the things I need to do to let the people in my life know that I care about them so that right. that doesn't happen again, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, so, that's a great thing, yeah. So you'll know when it's right for you to compose something else. And yeah. and, and I, I do hope we get through the, the valley that we're in a little bit now as right. people who work in the entertainment industry and, mm -hmm. um, you know, just know that there's a lot of people out there who care about you and care about your work. And we're all wow. rooting for you. <laughs> wow, I appreciate that. Wow. We're just yeah. all rooting for you. I really appreciate that. I, I, You know, I try not to think of anything like that. I, You know, I just love doing what I do. So, yeah. you know, and I always tell my kids, like, whatever you do for a career, just make sure you love it because it, exactly. it won't feel like it's work. You know what I mean? So, exactly. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, I really appreciate you doing this. And uh, I know the folks at OWC really care about you and they were so excited that we were going to be talking. And I thank them for referring me over to you. And wow. um, hopefully we'll talk again. I'll be following you and tell Tiffany hello. I haven't met her yet. But I know I she's just, she's a superstar. <laughs> yeah, she is. She, she is. is. She is. And um, I wish for a lot of love all around you and a continuing wonderful Thank career. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. Nice I appreciate it. You. Big COVID you hug. <laughs> all right. Thank, thank you and thank OWC for asking me to do this. This, this is incredible. Yeah. It's, it's actually a little cathartic. If you, if you oh, that's if you nice. Yeah. Well, I'm Serena Catania, host of OWC Radio, and he's Quiz, amazing composer, arranger, producer, audio yeah. engineer. And uh, remember, everybody, what I tell you every time, get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today, even if it's in your own home. This is Serena Catania. I am signing out. <laughs> cool.